Welcome to Missouri Farm Bureau's Virtual Legislative Briefing Seminar number three. We are conducting a series of these events over the next few months. A couple of ones that we've already done, you can go back and watch on Facebook under the Missouri Farm Bureau page if you'd like to see uh, the previous guests that we've had. But today we have a, a, a number of guests that are going to be updating us on what they are working on and answering questions. We have guests from USDA and we have um, State Representative David Gregory, who will be talking about the um, investigations that he is working on getting started into the cattle markets. So if you have questions for any of our guests, please either just enter them in the Q&A in Zoom, if you're watching on Zoom, or if you're watching us on Facebook Live, you can enter those questions in the comments right underneath the uh, video, and we will try to answer those questions as soon as we are able. Again, that's down on the, um, the Q&A box at the bottom of Zoom. You can ask your question there or put your questions in the comment box on Facebook Live. Right now, I'm going to turn it over to Garrett Hawkins, who is the president of Missouri Farm Bureau, to kick us off. Thanks, Eric, and thanks everyone for tuning in today. I tell you what a difference uh, two weeks makes, right? Uh, we all survive those frigid temperatures and just terrible, terrible weather. Uh, now it's beautiful outside and it's great to, to have at least this beautiful weather as we usher in March. So again, hope you all are doing well and thank you for, for participating in this series. I'm excited uh, for our guests that we have uh, lined up today. Uh, first, we're going to hear from Jeremy Mosley, uh, who is the acting um, state executive director for the Farm Service Agency. And you, know, you think about partnerships and a lot of what we do in Farm Bureau is built on partnerships in order to achieve the policy that you, our members put in place. And so when I think of key strategic partners, I have to look no further than, than our, our partners at USDA and the great work that they do to help all of us on the ground day in and day out. So, so Jeremy, thanks for, for joining us today. Um, appreciate any updates that you can uh, provide uh, on information that that should be on our minds. Sure. Well, and congratulations, uh, Mr. Hawkins, on your election to the president of Missouri Farm Bureau. That's exciting. And I know that you guys uh, do great work um, throughout the state and help promote agriculture. And I think that everybody on here knows that it, more than ever before, um, we're um, under attack from folks that uh, want to do away with what we love and, and the way we do business. So for all of us that are on here today and working, you know, I know we're trying to take care of agriculture and I appreciate that. A little background on me. So I'm originally from Sullivan County, Missouri. Um, grew up there on a traditional corn and soybean farm and a cattle uh, operation. My wife and I and my folks still have one. And then we also have a contract feeding operation with Smithfield as well. Um, and I've been with you at FSA for a little over 20 years, um, was the county executive director in Sullivan and Putnam County uh, for 12 years, and then came on as district director um, for North Central Missouri. And then for since August, um, have been serving as the state exec, acting state executive director. So I appreciate the opportunity to be here. Just a little bit about our offices. So, and Scott may talk a little bit about this. You'll start to see a change um, at the USDA Service Center effective Monday. 
Um, the new administration is uh, trying to work through the COVID um, portion of this deal. And so we've been working through phases. Uh, now then we're going to operate at 25%. Each agency will operate at 25% of capacity uh, for staff. So if we have a normal staff in FSA, of uh, four people in the office, um, we'll now just be allowed to have one person working in the office and the rest will be teleworking. We have closed, had to close the door to all customers coming in the office. And this all goes back to employee safety. Um, how long this will continue, we do, we've not been given a time frame yet. Um, so we're hopeful to get, keep moving back um, towards being open, but uh, unfortunately there will be a change in operation for FSAE and NRCS and NRD uh, for their presence at the USDA service center. So beginning Monday, we have put that in place um, through the ask of the administration. Um, COVID, you know, it, it's affected uh, us uh, a lot here at FSA and USDA, but I am pleased to announce that our numbers and our um, you know, our exposures have been limited. Um, so we always encourage our producers, you know, to do online services through the farmers.gov, um, reach out to our service centers by phone, email, you know, we will do the best we can to serve folks um, in the limited capacity that we've been put in. Um, of course, you know, we talked a little bit about CFAP additional. Um, we are still accepting sign up on it. Uh, and the deadline is just a few weeks out. Well, no, excuse me. I guess that it has surpassed. Um, and But we don't know what our payment rates are going to be yet. The administration um, is taking a look at that, giving the new secretary an opportunity to uh, evaluate that and how the payments. And that was just an additional that was going to take into consideration some contract producers and stuff that come through the one and two off of CFAP one and two. Um, of course, we continue um, ARC PLC sign up that goes through March 15th, uh, where folks are able to make the election, whether they're going to go ARC County, ARC IC, uh, PLC, and it just is based upon the crop elections um, and what producers uh, feel is the best uh, for their marketing year um, and how that they are going to come about it. As of the 22nd of February was the last numbers I had. Uh, we'd signed up uh, 1,181,000 contracts. Uh, that's about 67% of enrollment. I haven't seen the numbers for this week, but I know that our offices are reaching out to producers, calling, sending emails, uh, trying to get those folks in uh, to sign up. Uh, CRP program, you know, we've extended the deadline. There has not been a deadline set uh, yet for our general CRP sign up. Um, the secretary extended that out uh, with no set deadline. And what they're trying to take a look at is, uh, you know, CRP numbers have been on the decline um, over the past few years. And they're trying to see how they can get uh, some interest, more interest back in CRP. Um, we all know that, uh, that we, the rental rates have taken a fall a little bit. And I think some of that is based upon how we collect the rental data. Um, you know, it's going to be hard to get a lot of people to be excited about signing up CRP um, whenever we're going to pay $100 an acre and the neighbor uh, will pay $185 to cash rent it uh, to put a crop in. So I think that that is some of the things that we're looking at. Um, 
you know, something that I hope that they look at in that is the seeding rates that go along with it and that we try to get back to seeding some grass stands that are beneficial to agriculture through uh, managed hang and grazing aspects like that. So I'm interested to see um, what comes from that uh, and what the deadline will be and see if we can't get some rental rates up and maybe get a little more excitement into the CRP program and get more interest back. Uh, quality loss, um, we still have that going on under the WHIP Plus program uh, and we're working through that. It's, uh, that's an exhaustive process, um, but it has yielded a lot of money to producers. So we continue to work on that uh, where we had quality. I know that the cotton, um, we are getting a lot of interest in the cotton from cotton country down in the Southeast Missouri. And I'd spoke to Rod um, who's the program specialist on that. So we're trying to work through stuff like that. Um, and just any other things that, uh, that come along. Uh, of course, you know, we went through this extreme cold spell. Uh, we're, we have a LIP program, a livestock indemnity program. So we had some training yesterday with our offices on that to try to work and help folks uh, who had uh, losses. I mean, I know that there was hundreds of babies that was lost um, during that two week period of time. And so we're encouraging producers, our offices, try to get uh, in touch with producers, let them know that we um, have set that that is a cold weather event and that we can pay on those. I have uh, asked that um, the offices um, be very producer friendly and work with these folks to uh, just take the records and try to pay these folks uh, the further losses because uh, we know that um, these folks struggled. I've got friends that they're producers and uh, a young man coming to sale barn, he's a little younger and just getting started and started Kevin about the 8th of February. And uh, he hadn't been to bed for four days trying to save these calves. And I know he lost nine in one day. So, you know, my heart goes out to them and that's what FSA is here to do is try to help take care of these folks. And uh, we're gonna work hard to do it, even in the limited capacity we have in the offices, we'll be working overtime um, to work with these folks. Uh, I want to mention a little bit about hiring because I know that uh, some of your your folks have seen, you know, I, in some areas um, we've had a lot of retirements and a lot of, lost a lot of our farm loan staff um, to other agencies, especially in the Kansas City area. So we're working on a direct hire program as well, which allows us to. Um, expedite the hiring. And I think I've got like 10 positions on the farm loan staff that we're trying to hire, um, direct hire. We've made a couple of new direct hire farm loan managers in portion of the state, um, putting on three new farm loan officer trainees. Um, and so I'm excited about that. And farm loan is such a huge part of what we do here at FSA. And, and uh, you know, I, something that gets talked about is we, they call it, say, well, we're the lender of uh, last resort. Um, and, and, you know, I guess that you could look at that. But I also sometimes like to call, say, you know, we're the lender of first opportunity because we have the ability to loan to the younger generation um, to try to get them started in some operations, which we all know with land prices and stuff that it's tough to get started on their own. So, uh, last year, we set a new record in Missouri. Um, we loaned for more money, uh, the most money we'd loaned since 1985. So huge, 
uh, year for us. Our delinquency stays low uh, right now. And so we're setting in good shape there. And if we can just get all the bodies hired and the offices filled uh, to help folks who will be in much better shape. So that's kind of what I've got. Um, as far as I guess you probably the big question is, is when do you get to work with the, the appointee? Um, I don't have, any, have not been given any information as far as the appointment of a new state director here. Um, the current state committee, um, Julie Hurst, uh, Barb Wilson, uh, the, and those folks, they are continuing on service as state committee and they will be here until the administration appoints a, a new state committee. So we are up and running as far as that goes, but really no information from DC yet on when we're gonna get those appointments. Okay, so Jeremy, the, the items that I've heard you say, that the, the items that, that our members need to have on their minds, uh, if they haven't got ARC and PLC taken care of, they need to get that done. Yes. Uh, for our livestock producers, for LIP, is there anything specific that your staff will need in order to file those claims? Sure. You know, I mean, we're going to, we're, they're going to need a total inventory. So let's say, you know, Garrett, that they had, um, they got a hundred cows or that they're calving. And um, let's say that the storm started on February 8th and then they lost that nine calves, we'll say February 10th they will need to know how many calves they had total inventory the day that they lost. So if they'd had 15 cows calved and then they lose nine, they'll need to know that. And, you know, you know, if, as you go along, we keep increasing the total inventory of baby calves and we do the loss. Uh, so percent, it's tough. It's tough for me to wrap my head around it sometimes. So I know it is for the producers. A lot of times for evidence, we're going to look at the calving books. You know, some folks put this on calendars. If they can have that type of records uh, present and ready for the for our offices, that'll help. Uh, you know, if they snap a picture or something of it, that always helps. But I've asked our offices to be very producer friendly. Um, we know what happened. And uh, if they've got the record books there and stuff, we're going to try and take that and make it work. You have a rough time frame. What's the turnaround uh, of of the claims processing, so to speak? You know, I would hope, um, and I would have said it would have been pretty quick. You know, within a month, we would try to get this turned around. We'd get committee meetings and stuff. Going backwards on our staffing and stuff, you know, that may stretch that time out a little bit. Um, but for sure, if you're asking about when they know they've got the loss, they need to be contacting the office, you know, quickly. Okay. Then maybe one more before yeah, we... No, go ahead. Um, you, you mentioned CFAP, especially how the program was expanded to include contract producer. Mm -hmm. Any idea from the secretary's office of when we're going to be able to move again? Well, the only thing I can say is coming there is that they told us the other day on a call that, that they were taking a look at it and that they understood that producers needed the money. So that, I mean, that, it's, it's pretty tight hold on that, uh, Garrett, as to what they're doing. Well, um, that's one of the most frequent questions I'm getting from our contract. You bet. Especially. You know, we had these folks that, that uh, you know, especially in some of these contract grower deals where they couldn't get them processed and they was having to euthanize the animals and stuff. So, and those folks have kind of been out in some of these deals. So I'm hopeful that we're able to get these folks paid and uh, they recognize that and get them taken care of. Okay. 
Well, if you're going to stay on, I'm going to pivot uh, now to, to your, your colleague, uh, also at USDA. We have our state conservationist, Scott Edwards, uh, that's also joining us today, folks. Uh, he's still relatively new, I think, in his role as well. Uh, Scott, look forward to hearing uh, all that you have on your plate at, at NRCS. Thank you, Garrett. And uh, it's been a pleasure working with Jeremy, getting to know him a little better over the last few months. Just a brief background. Uh, this accent is not from Missouri. Uh, I'm originally from Central Texas, started my career with the agency uh, about 27 years ago over in Mississippi, spent the last 17 years in Louisiana, moved up here um, last June. So closing in uh, nine months or so here in the state, I think the number one thing that we're facing now, and to piggyback on what Jeremy said, is just how do we maintain continuity and being able to work and, and put conservation on the ground here in Missouri uh, with COVID. And so we had been making great progress and um, 30 some odd offices had moved up to full capacity, seeing customers and then just this week, just a, a department-wide, it's really a government-wide strategy um, to move back to this limited staffing. And so for me, uh, the biggest concern that, that I have are for the actual employees here in Missouri. Their safety is number one, but morale, stress levels, trying to do things in this alternate universe when we have been so good at that one-on-one -on -one interaction. For us, on, and with the state cost share program, our soil and water conservation districts, all of our partner uh, groups and employees that we have working in our field offices, it's impacting them because we're, we're still under that same 25% cap. So over the next few weeks, scheduling, trying to get people time in there, working uh, just across the landscape is going to be difficult. We're midway through our fiscal year, so most of the classic signups have um, already taken place. And so our offices are actively working on the roster of applications that we have across our uh, major programs. One thing to note, and always try to mention this, we can accept an application at any time. We really, we don't close it, we have batching periods. And so every application received up at that point is processed in that same pool. So urge you that maybe if you have missed a, a deadline, for an application, you can still come in, make that application, we'll take it and it'll be ready for that next batching period and we can go through and process. One active signup that we do have right now that's, that's going to be going the entire month of March is for our Conservation Stewardship Program, CSP. It's for those renewal contracts. So these are any CSP contracts that were entered in 2017. So whether it was your very first time getting a CSP contract at 17, you're eligible to come back in and apply for renewal. Renewals in this newest farm bill are competitive. Um, so in the past, if you had that first five-year contract, you were able to just go right into a non-competitive renewal process. So now that it's all competitive, they have opened up. So even if you had an original contract, 2012, 2013, you renewed that in 2017. So this year will end your 10 years in the conservation stewardship program. You can still come in and sign up for this renewal. So that is a change for this year. So there'll be uh, multiple opportunities 
there are producers that are out there that have been in these long-term CSP contracts will be able to come in and compete uh, with the same group that's just coming out of their first five years. That closing date is going to be March 31st. Um, and so that is an active sign up that we have. I know with the administration and the transition that we have, there's, there's two new things that we're going to tackle this year. Uh, the first that I'll just mention is climate smart conservation. And so this administration is going to be pushing us to consider those more holistic uh, system type approaches under the umbrella of the climate smart conservation. And so one thing that, that I have heard, and this is something that, that we embrace at NRCS and especially here in Missouri in the long history of conservation is listening to our producers, our growers, our landowners, our conservation partners to make sure that we're putting the very best and offering the very best programs and solutions for our producers. We've been given assurances that anything that we do down the carbon, the carbon markets, nutrient trading, anything that even from soil health expanded in the climate smart conservation is that we are going to be able to customize and do what is best for the landscape here in Missouri. So over the next six months, there's going to be plenty of opportunity to engage and listen for us to listen, to understand how we can best deliver uh, those options. So that's in the category of more to come through the rest of this farm bill. One thing that was in that 2018 Farm Bill is the environmental quality incentive um, switch that we made and where it's, it's almost kind of like taking the best of the EQIP program and the CSP program. So it's these conservation incentive contracts. We will deliver that this year in Missouri there will be a forthcoming sign up because we have already, since we're halfway through the year, it couldn't fit in anything that we were doing. So there will be a special opportunity. The difference in these incentives, it does not have to be whole farm conservation like we do with the conservation stewardship program, but it can lean in that direction. And the contract link can be anywhere from five to 10 years. So this will be a perfect example of, for producers who are trying to make a systems change move uh, and you need a longer uh, return and a time frame to implement those systems. So whether it's trying to go in and, and do a new, entirely new grazing system, there'll be an opportunity to tie into those long-term contracts. Instead of it being the brick and mortar type work that we do with Equip, you can go and pick certain parts of the farm to start working on these longer term contracts and we can go into more of an incentive based uh, option. And so it'll be housed under EQIP, but it's going to start to function. It's kind of a merging of these two programs, if you will. So that'll be something that's coming out. It'll be offered statewide. This first attempt, we're putting about $1.5 million into those incentive contracts, get them up and running and moving. And then next year, we'll be able to build um, on top of that as, you know, for the remaining years of this farm bill. And so with that, that's the, it's kind of the general overview update that I have. So I don't know, Garrett, if you have any questions or so, anything you need to expand on. Well, Scott, uh, I do want to, as you talk about the administration change, is there anything that's on hold or kind of frozen at this point that 
that our folks should be aware of? No, you know, for us, typically when you have those those changes, you do have that kind of immediate pause. The only thing, and it's it's big, but it's just kind of this going back to basics with our number of staffing and, and kind of holding the line on the COVID front. Everything else, we've been able to continue. We are um, the leadership team here in Columbia. We've been able to fill those key vacancies, move forward. We're getting key help in the fields. So that classic uh, kind of hiring freeze that typically happens for three or four months, we have not experienced that. We've been able to continue moving forward. So everything is is still a go. That's part of the, the stress. We have every deadline, every program to deliver, but not being able to get our people, you know what I'm saying, back in the office to have that interaction. But the workforce has done a tremendous job of, of embracing this new work environment that we have. So there's been a lot of innovation still trying to deliver that same level of conservation. So I'd say, you know, for our members that are tuning in and will watch later, one of the important takeaways is obviously that they can begin working on a contract at any time or a proposal. So, so they need to be in communication with their local USDA team, right? So, so that yeah. may be that a lot of folks don't realize that they see a sign up period, but take a step back, you can actually have these conversations prior to, to. so that's, that's important to know. Um, I'd say, you know, keeping the ag community engaged as you uh, embark on this climate smart conservation, what it looks like, you know, it's going to be an interesting conversation for all of us involved in production agriculture, right? And part of the conversation, I think, Scott, comes from the standpoint of, can we get those outside of production agriculture to at least be to the point of, of, of recognizing the contributions that agriculture is already making every day on our farms right. uh, that make a positive impact. And it seems like that, that message gets lost in something that I personally want to try to do a better job on, especially is talking about all the things, all the positive things that are already happening every day on our farms and ranches. No, no, that's a great point. And I think it's for all of us to, to be able to continue pushing and doing. And, and I think that's the exciting part for me for our NRCS and our programs and that focus. It is working with those frontline producers of ag to continue to be a part of that solution. But now actually maybe have some technical and financial assistance to continue and expand on that work. So I, I think for us, it's going to be a, a, you know, a net positive to go in that direction. Okay, well, we certainly uh, count us in in terms of engaging, and we'll have members that will be willing to engage in the discussion, uh, again, of trying to create a, a, a solutions-based <laughs> environment, right, that, that recognizes the contributions of farmers that were a huge part of, of the solution, anything environmental, really, for that matter. Um, and that as, as our leaders in DC have these conversations, they really need to keep it focused on voluntary, incentive-based, market-based, all these things that are really important that give us the flexibility to do what we do best on our farms. Exactly. Well, uh, in case there are other questions, if you would, wouldn't mind holding on, Scott, we're going to go to our yeah. third speaker here, and then we'll see at the end if there are any speakers uh, or questions for, for, for you all. Yes, thanks. All right. 
So next, uh, we're going to, to move to Representative David Gregory. Uh, Representative Gregory is chair of the House Special Committee on Government Accountability. So a, a pretty broad uh, uh, committee when you, when you think about it. Uh, we're especially appreciative that Representative Gregory uh, is one who pays attention to ag issues and what we have been talking about, particularly in the livestock sector and, and cattle markets, um, Representative Gregory has the same questions that we do in terms of what we have seen, um, well, starting really with the whole complaint fire in Kansas and now through, the, through COVID, uh, the disruption, the supply chain, but ultimately the prices that we've received. So Representative Gregory is kicking off an investigation um, looking at pricing irregularities. And we ask him to join us today to, to give some thoughts about how he's launching this investigation and, and uh, we'll go from there. Very good, thank you. Thank you so much for having me and I appreciate you all tuning in. Um, I'm actually, I'm super excited about it. I'll keep it um, very brief for you, but. Um, as mentioned, I'm actually I'm leading an initiative to investigate um, price fix, price fixing, other anti-competitive practices within the cattle industry. And I know it comes to no surprise to any of you, um, but there's some strong circumstantial evidence, and I want to call it circumstantial uh, because it is it's strong circumstantial evidence um, that that the folks in the meatpacking industry are orchestrating efforts to keep the price of, of fed cattle down. Uh, now, the, a lot of this evidence has actually come from pre-COVID, right? During COVID, there's so many additional factors. I think, I think we got to, I think we got to pause uh, with regard to COVID pricing. But both pre-COVID and, of course, as we emerge out of um, you know into this post-COVID world, I think it's something we really got to take a strong look at uh, and, and figure out what's going on. Because again, we're, there's a lot of smoke here, and where there's smoke, there very well could be fire. And that's something I'm, I'm super interested in doing. It's interesting as a St. Louis state representative. I, um, you know, at, at cattle, um, you know, fed cattle prices is not a big deal out of St. Louis. It's not something that's often talked about, but what so many people from, from the entire state understand is that agriculture is such a huge part of our Missouri economy. And as I got around the state and visited with my other colleagues, state rep uh, colleagues, it became very evident, very clear, very quickly that, uh, that this, this, uh, this, this meat packing industry, these orchestrated, what appear to be orchestrated efforts, is becoming a big problem for our farmers, right? I mean, it's no new news to you. We're, we're seeing low prices for our fed cattle. And at the exact same time, the meatpacking industry is enjoying these all time high, record high prices for their beef products. So you gotta really wonder what's going on. I can tell you, um, there's been a lot of uh, uh, evidence that's come and it's not just a Missouri problem, right? This is a problem we're having nationally at the national level. Uh, certainly in Missouri, but multiple, multiple other states. We've got a lot of attorney generals signing on to, to big issues. A lot of uh, even, even civil lawsuits, private lawsuits being filed, class actions being filed against these meat packers for these types of things. We're talking about coordinated uh, conduct to reduce purchasing and slaughter volumes. You know that. Uh, we're talking about coordinating effort to import cattle, uh, even when it's uneconomical, right? They want to keep that supply down. Um, and, and, and so even when it's uneconomical, they're importing cattle. That makes no sense. Uh, we're talking about evidence of coordination efforts to, uh, to close other meatpacking um, plants all at the same time and manipulate the market as well. So a lot of strong evidence out there, a lot of affidavits, testimony, documentation, people who have been in the meatpacking uh, plants and or uh, executive level uh, meatpackers that are coming out and blowing the whistle 
These are things that I'm super excited about to dive into, not only uh, to, to investigate these, like I said, these pre-COVID uh, issues, but to as we emerge post-COVID, I really want to hold their feet to the fire. I really want our farmers knowing that we're here for them. We're going to get to the bottom of it. They are going to answer for what they're doing. And at a very minimum, we're going to clean up their actions moving forward. So it's something that I'm super excited about, but it's very early stages. I've requested the Speaker of the House to, uh, to back me in this investigation, which will provide subpoena power, which is the real teeth we need in that investigation. And, uh, and, and I'm very confident we're going to get that. So my ask of all of you would be please do not be a stranger. Hit me with it. Hit my office with things that you know, evidence that you have, theories that you have. Even if you don't have evidence of the theory, I need to know everything that you're thinking so that I know exactly the path that we're going to take. Well, Representative Gregory, thank you. I would say, you know, from, from our members' perspective, uh, it's important to ask the tough questions. I mean, we, we've asked our, our colleagues in Washington, D.C., through American Farm Bureau, obviously, been working with our congressional delegation to, to get questions asked. And this is yet another piece of the puzzle, right? Like, to, all we want is a robust conversation <laughs> and to better understand some of these issues as they come up and, and every chance we could get every leader that will step forward and help us ask these tough questions. It's so, so important. So thank you. Thank you for yes. willingness to put your hand up and say, yeah, I'll ask the questions. Absolutely. I'll tell you what, I, I won't shy away. I'm not afraid. If they, uh, I know some people get scared or they could get sued or whatever those ramifications can be. Good luck. Bring it on. Sue me. I don't care. I'm a lawyer by trade. I understand litigation. I understand the investigatory nature of litigation and subpoena power. And I intend to use it to the fullest ethical and legal extent possible to ask those tough questions, to bring those people in. And you know what? There's ways that we can leverage if they don't want to abide by a subpoena, right? Or if the subpoena power is outside the Missouri Missouri uh, ability, and they don't want to come in. There's other ways to handle that. So we can get a lot of value both out of asking tough questions and out of uh, really exposing those that won't come in and answer tough questions. Okay. Well, at this point, while I wait to see if there are any questions, uh, BJ Tanksley, our state lobbyist, whom you know, Representative Gregory, I'll call on BJ. BJ, anything else on this topic or any other state legislative updates you want to give uh, here? Yeah, <clears throat> sorry. Yeah, it's um, it's been a busy week. Obviously, this is something we're excited to share the news of the investigation into the meatpacking industry. Um, we know we heard a lot of interest in this issue, whether you're relating back to plant fires or COVID and seeing those impacts. So I think it's a it's, a, it's an exciting time to see what we can do in that arena. It's been another busy week in the state legislature. Uh, thank you, Dave, uh, Representative Gregory, for, for coming on with us after a busy week. It, it has been a busy week where we've been talking about a lot of things that are good for agriculture. Uh, we spent a lot of time this week talking about um, the Department of Agriculture's programs, talking about the MASBA tax credit programs and helping to extend those into the future. Um, and another issue we've been talking about is the private pesticide applicator training program this week to making sure that that's in line with federal guidelines and allowing that to continue to serve agriculture into the future. So that's a few of the things. And then otherwise we've seen um, bills moving forward relating to feral hogs um, and increasing the penalties for moving feral hogs from one place to another. We know this has been on the minds of our members, especially from those hog impacted counties of making sure with the eradication efforts that are going on that we don't have someone coming behind them um, and reintroducing feral hogs to places where we've had those eradication efforts. So um, a lot of exciting stuff. We've seen movement related to uh, biofuels, 
Um, also uh, some bills relating to ethanol and biofuels, as well as um, eminent domain power moving over to the Senate. We appreciate the House taking up and passing that bill recently um, and excited to see movement on the Senate on that. Those are some major issues that we're spending a lot of time talking about. And we've had another busy week on all of those. So thank you, Representative Gregory. Really appreciate it. Um, and that's just a brief bit of what we've been working on in the Capitol. Representative Gregory, we've had a question come in just asking about the time frame for your investigation. Uh, what, are you, what are your thoughts? Yeah, that's a great question. So I'm not sure the exact answer. What my guess would be is that it's going to be a couple of weeks before I'm able to put together the detailed framework of what that investigation looks like, right? It's a lot like probable cause. You don't want to just launch a fishing expedition to look for dirt anywhere you can find it, right? We got to have a pretty specific, if you will, purpose behind the investigation. That should take between one and two weeks. I'm going to present that to the Speaker of the House uh, because, of course, I want his support, right? To just launch an investigation and ask people to come in and speak and or answer tough questions is hard. It's hard to, to make them do it. But with the Speaker's subpoena power uh, and, and a strong um, strategy, I think that we can force them uh, either by law or, or other means to come in and answer those tough questions. So my guess is one or two weeks before the presentation of that specific framework, at which point I'm very confident the speaker's going to get behind us. Uh, and then it'd probably take another week or two to begin that. So we're probably at least a month out. Um, but in the meantime, what's so critical to me, and I want to repeat again, uh, BJ, I know you'll back me up on this, but uh, it's, it's, that, it's that law of the crowds that, that, that you, you folks who are in it, you live it every day, you understand it better than anybody understands it. I need you. I need your help. My committee needs your help. Even these ag experts, you all know, as, as much um, as anybody. So my ask of you in the next three to four weeks is get me as much information as you can. Even if you think there's no evidence to back it up, I can make that decision. I can, I can compile it with all the other information I have. It's going to be confidential. I will not release your name if you don't want to be released. We can redact any information you want. It can be as confidential or as public as you want. I want information from you. You are the experts. And I believe my ability as an attorney, an investigative, an investigative attorney and state representative, coupled with your experience as cattlemen, as farmers or, or whatever else it is that you do, I believe together we're going to have a much, much, much more powerful uh, punch. And I think that we're going to do a much better job of this investigation. So please, by all means, help me as much or as little as you're willing to help. Spencer, I think you're on. Uh, Spencer's been monitoring the discussions in Washington and has the latest developments, at least on legislation. So Spencer, would you mind popping in and giving members an update on, on the discussions that you're aware of? Yeah, sure. I'd be glad to. Thanks so much, President Hawkins. A couple different things since our last legislative briefing series. Uh, many of you have probably seen that the Senate did go ahead and confirm Tom Vilsack as Secretary of USDA. I know that both Director Mosley and State Conservationist Edwards both, both indicated that the Secretary was in place, but he has officially moved back over to USDA. Um, we're also monitoring additional confirmations that are making their way through the Senate confirmation process, uh, including the nomination of Catherine Tai to be the next United States Trade Representative. USTR actually just released a report yesterday about the administration's trade priorities for the next year. And so I'll be including a link to that report and, and the highlights of it in this week's newsletter. So be sure you're signed up for that. That will go out tomorrow. From a legislative perspective, uh, there's certainly a lot to talk about in Washington. The stimulus bill continues to dominate those conversations. Many of you know that the House passed a stimulus bill late last 
last week, um, and the Senate has been kind of negotiating back and forth this week. They have still not taken a vote. I keep hearing that they could take a vote as early as tomorrow, but in all likelihood, it's probably not going to be until next week. Uh, the kind of unofficial deadline for those negotiations is March 14th, uh, because that is when the current unemployment provisions of the stimulus bill uh, that was previously passed expire. So a lot of lawmakers are really pushing towards that March 14th deadline. There's certainly uh, no shortage of items and issues to discuss, including, I know a couple weeks ago on this forum, President Hawkins mentioned a letter we had sent to our delegation opposing raising the federal minimum wage. That provision did pass the House of Representatives, but it was ruled out of order in the Senate. So we'll be curious to see how things move forward with that. Um, but we were fortunate that that provision, it doesn't seem like it's gonna move through at this point. Last couple of things I'll mention is a couple of bills we're monitoring. Many of you have seen that Senator Deb Fisher from Nebraska uh, introduced the Cattle Market Transparency Act in the U.S. Senate. We have been working with our House colleagues and we expect that a House companion will be filed hopefully in the near future. Uh, we're also working really closely with Congressman Smith's office. I know they have carried our estate tax repeal bill in the past, and we're hopeful to see introduction of that bill over the next few days as well. So those are big priority issues for Farm Bureau. Uh, happy to take any questions, but that's a very quick, as BJ said, a very, very quick update on what's going on in Washington. Okay, thanks, Spencer. I remind folks again, as we approach uh, the 45 minute time mark, uh, make sure if you have any questions, go ahead and type them in the chat box, or I believe Eric gave you a number that you can text. Uh, however you need to, make sure you get your questions in here before we wrap up. I think Spencer and BJ did a good job of covering the issues that are out there. Uh, yeah, I mean, BJ, what we're approaching uh, the midpoint of session right uh, later this month yeah we've got uh, one week before spring break um, that's kind of the unofficial halfway point um, and and as always with one week before spring break the capital activity is picking up um, and expecting a lot of uh, longer nights this last week we had several uh, or a couple long nights in the senate and i expect that to continue as everybody starts to feel the pressure of wanting to see their priorities getting there there's been a lot of movement. There's also been some disruptions here early in session, um, but I expect as things kind of normalize that we see a heavy week of activity leaded into the spring break and then obviously that final push through uh, April and the first weeks of May. So it has been a busy time. Um, excited to see things moving along and getting uh, getting active in the Capitol. It's been a, been a fun week. Okay, let me check one more time. So we've got a question, given the new administration in DC, can we expect to see free trade become an explicit priority? Uh, I think that is a, a really, really good question. Um, clearly the previous administration had a, a different approach to, to trade. Uh, we saw a movement away from the multilateral trade agreement approach uh, to, to more of a bilateral trade approach. Uh, Again, I think all signs point to that, that this administration will, will work hard on trade too. Um, we've seen some numbers that looks like uh, in terms of just the list of progress that we have made in resolving longstanding uh, disagreements, I guess would be one way to say it, uh, with China, for instance. 
Uh, we have made great progress uh, on that list and there are more things yet to, to come. So hopefully we're gonna see at least some continuity um, in the trade arena as we work to, to get back in the mindset of, of not just enforcing, which is clearly important, but also trying to negotiate new agreements. So we're gonna wrap up. Uh, I want to thank our guests from USDA, uh, Scott Edwards and Jeremy Mosley, as well as uh, uh, our guest representative David Gregory from uh, from the state legislature. Thank you all for for joining us. I'd say for our members on, uh, there are several action items. So from an FSA standpoint, uh, if you haven't got ARC PLC, uh, if you haven't got that taken care of, you need to get it done. <laughs> uh, livestock indemnity program, if you've lost calves, you need to make sure to, to reach out to your county office, make sure that you're talking to your, your partners there so that they understand what your, what your need is. Uh, NRCS, again, treat it as an ongoing conversation, I think, as there are some opportunities coming about. Uh, I know as we think about the conservation incentive program and, and its dovetail, how it works with EQIP, <clears throat> we look forward to more information from NRCS as well as you embark on these conversations um, on climate. <laughs> and so, so a lot there. And then obviously we wrapped up with Representative Gregory and his challenge that he needs stories. So if you have specific information to be considered, please get that to, to us. Uh, if you want to get it to BJ Tanksley specifically, that would be great uh, so that we can help get information uh, to the representative. Staff, have I missed anything? Uh, Garrett, this is Jeremy real quick. Yes. I, I misstated one thing in my deal, and I don't want producers to be um, pushed away because of this. So the CFAP additional sign-up, the sign-up was scheduled in February 26th. I misspoke on that because I had my mind going on another deal. It is continuing. So the sign-up is continuing for the contract producers, uh, pullets, turf grass, the additional stuff. So if producers have not signed up and they fall into those things, they still can sign up. And I apologize that I misspoke on that. Oh. Um, it was the 26th was the deadline, but it does continue now. The deadline has been waived. Well, hey, you've caught it and you've given folks hope that. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's all we can do. <laughs> And then likewise, continue to, to press to your colleagues in Washington that uh, producers are anxious for that freeze to, to be lifted and those funds roll out. Everybody, thank you very much for tuning in. We appreciate you and look forward to seeing everybody again in a couple of weeks for our next installment. Have a thank good one. Thank you for having me. Yes, thank you for having us very much.